0: It's funny because uh, what I really feel like the Lord's speaking and what, what I feel like he wanted me to say today is not a traditional Mother's Day message, and I was telling Tracy about it. She's like, what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm, I'm going to talk about discipline. <laughs> she was like, on Mother's Day? And I was like, well, I said, I thought about there's a lot of great mothers, and I could, I, could, I could create a sermon and build something around that, and it wouldn't be that bad, but I really feel like the Lord, this was something that I was dealing with going through Hebrews and I was like, I really feel like I want to talk about this. I feel like the Lord has something for somebody having to do with this. And um, what's the first thing you think of when you think of discipline? Spankings, spankings, spare the eyes, spoil the child. Yeah, I almost—it was too long. I was going to get into that, but that's a different sermon. But uh, but anyway, yeah. First thing we think about is is spanking. That's the first thing I think about when I think about discipline. Um, but what I found is there's a there's a great transliteration over the years with discipline. Same way we, we've talked about meekness before. A lot of us relate uh, meekness to weakness, which is not true. Meekness is power, great power under control. Yes. Um, so in the same way, we've, we have transliterated this word discipline into spankings or punishment, right? That's, that's the way we see it. Um, well, I'm going to get into it. I'm not going to get into this. I'm going to tell you a story first because um, I, th- I feel like it, it hopefully helped better visualize what I want to talk about throughout the whole sermon. I always tell stories about my life because I know it, um, and it's very easy to tell. But many of you know, some of you don't. Um, Growing up, I I got in a lot of fights. I caused a lot of trouble. Um, I was disrespectful to my mom. Um, I was disrespectful to a lot of people. I was manipulative. I I would hustle. I, I would work things out to where I could benefit from them, whether it was through um, relationships or money or whatever it was. I grew up in an environment that very much supported that lifestyle. Um, and so that's what I did for a lot of, for many, many years. Looking back, um, after I got saved, even up until now, I've been saved 20 years. I'm, I was 40, I turned 40 this year. I was lost 20 years, saved so about half my life I spent living for myself and, um, in all those years, there were lots of things that happened and in, in a lot of the years after, there were lots of things that happened that I would rather have not happened. Anybody? Has anybody had things that you would rather not have happened in the past? Um, lots before. <laughs> before I got saved, there was some real bad stuff. Um, but just to give a few examples, I was pretty defiant most of the time. Grew up in a single parent home. My mom was, was the main one there and my sister. My mom worked from morning till night, so I was pretty much free to do whatever I wanted. Um, and I for the most part, took advantage of that and did pretty much whatever I wanted. Um, stayed in and out of trouble, not too bad, until my stepdad came into the picture. My mom remarried, and that was a, a, a form of disciplinary for me. That was a, a, someone that was coming into my life wanting to teach me, and I wasn't wanting to learn. <laughs> he, was, he was wanting to show me his way, but I didn't want to have anything to do with him. Um, and though he made many mistakes, and we'll talk about a few, I'm not trying to beat him up or anything, I know in his heart he was trying to do the best for me that he could, um, and he was very kind and in a lot of ways. Well, fast forward for time time purposes, they've been married for about a year or two, and he grew up. Give you a little background too. He grew up in Texas, proud Texan, with a military father, so very structured, very opposite of me. Um, And so, as I was going through this and thinking about my life and some of the things that had happened, I remember a distinct moment um, that changed me. Now. Before I tell you the story, I'm going to preface it by saying I, I'm in no way advocating violence or anything. This is just what happened to me. Um, and, and also, we have to, before we can even get into any of this or, or my story, we have to distinguish the difference between circumstances and things that happened and God's discipline. They're separate. Does that make sense? God does not, and I'll say it again, but God does not punish people by abusive people in their lives by domestic abuse. He does not give them curses and diseases. We're in a fallen world. We know that. God does not do that to discipline us. It doesn't say it anywhere in Scripture where he does that to discipline us. So I want to preface that. All right. Now, this was, I don't know what was going on. I was arguing with my mom. We're sitting at, a, at our little table in an apartment in Westlake, Louisiana, and uh, me and my mom were going back and forth. My stepdad was over here, kind of out of my line of sight, and we're arguing back and forth. And I was cussing at my mom a lot. <laughs> is this the pastor? Did we come to the right church? This is a long time ago, but I was cussing at my mom, and I was being very ugly to her. Um, we were arguing about something. I was trying to prove my point. So we're going back and forth, and I was being very ugly to her. And out of nowhere came my stepdad's back hand. <laughs> and I was on one of those rolling uh, computer chairs and just literally flipped over backwards and laid on the, on the floor. And I had grown up fighting, so I had been the recipient and giver of many punches to the face. Um, but in this specific instance, it was a, it was a pretty good hit. I mean, he, he busted my lip, and I was down on my back. And I, I remember panicking, thinking, this is not good. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. It kind of caught me off guard. But before I could even gain my, my bearings, he grabbed me and pulled me outside and put me in the truck. And we went down the road. And I was like, oh my god, he's going to kill me. <laughs> my first thought was, I want to fight him. But he hit me pretty hard. <laughs> so my second thought was, maybe I don't. Um, and before I could really gain my bearings, he had had me in the truck, and he began to talk to me, and he brought me down and got me ice and everything, we began to discuss. And he apologized um, for doing it, and it was a reaction, blah, blah, blah. Like I said, none of that, I'm not saying that was right or wrong. I'm saying that was my experience. Now, having said that, that got my attention. <laughs> Whether good or bad, it got my attention. The talk he had afterwards got my attention even more. He explained who he was and where he came from, um, how he had never heard anybody talk to somebody like that, especially their mother. Um, And there was a bit of a bond created there. I didn't want it, but there was a bit of a bond, even through not the best circumstances. Like I said, I'm not advocating doing that, but there was a bit of a bond that was created there. And over time, I began to listen a little bit to him. Not not a lot, but I began to listen a little bit to what he had to say. Um, And like I said, not because he hit me or anything, but there was something that happened there several years later I guess it was um, over the years he began to teach me I I was quiet and reserved I was a punk kid really I had my hat down over my eyes and I was hunched over and I was mean mugging everybody all the time because that's what you had to do where I grew up because everybody fought so you had to pretend you were tough if you weren't tough or you better be tough because it's gonna be bad so he taught me to hold my shoulders back I still struggle with it but he would shoulder shoulders back you know stand up straight shake when you shake a man's hand shake it firmly look at him in the eyes, little things like this that that I could care less about at that time. But it was good, it was good life lessons, good basic surface life lessons. Um, in hindsight, I think it was things that were good for me. I think they were ultimately good for me. Now, as I grew up, um, as many of you know, feeling not really worth much and going through life and different things like that, when I got saved, I began to realize I was worth more than what I thought I was worth. Not because of my abilities, but because of Christ who died for me. So my Job life changed. I began to work as unto the Lord. I know it sounds cheesy, but I began to work as unto the Lord. I said, you know what? I can do just enough to not get fired because I've been doing it for years, or I can do the best I can do. Um, And even in the midst of that, I had a boss that treated me like an idiot and belittled me, and I knew more than he did. (laughs) I I was smarter than he was, and I was better than he was. I was in that position for a very long time, and it created a lot of character in me because this came after a lot of trouble that I had got in, and I had gotten arrested, and I had to keep a job. I had to keep a job, and so there I was at this job. My boss is belitt- belittling me, and I know that I, I know more than he does about the computer systems. I know more than he does about the way the company works. I know that I'm better than him, but I, I humbled myself after being saved, after the Lord showed me how. Before, I argued with him all the time, <laughs> but I humbled myself, and it's okay. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do the best I can for the Lord, and then until I find another job, and I'll get another job. No big deal. Well, what happened was, eventually, somebody noticed that the plant manager noticed that I was doing a good job. He promoted me to a manager position in another department, and I had I was over other people, and I had an opportunity to 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 be in a better position at this job and and do more. All all things that I wasn't expecting, all things that I didn't feel like I really deserved. Um, eventually, went into different positions. Doesn't matter. Doesn't have to do with the story, but. Um, all the way down to um, being called as youth pastor here um, and going upstairs and just spending years with these kids and just, you know, pouring into them and then learning so much from them and then just even recently being being called up into pastoring this church. Now, I said all that, (laughs) I know it's uh, a bit long, but that's the short version. There was a lot more in there to say that God used every one of those circumstances and instances to get me to the place that I am now. I say that because they weren't all good, but they were, he made them good. I don't think that he, he wanted all those things to happen in the way that they did, but he used them for something good. Now, rewind all the way back to when I was in diapers. Some of you heard this story when my mom went to a mechanic one day, and, and I wasn't even with her, and he said, you've got a son. And she was like, that's weird, but yeah, I've got a son. And he said, he's going to be responsible for bringing many people to the Lord and the salvation of your family. And that was prophesied for me before I was out of diapers, apparently. And so I said all that because God can use even the worst circumstances to make something good. And we've got to separate our circumstances from God's discipline. What we want to do is we we like to tie those together sometimes. We like to say, okay, well, God is putting me through this for a reason or for a purpose. We have to separate those. We go through bad things as the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You're going to go through some bad things. But we can't count those as discipline. The Lord will discipline us. And now I'm going to give you the definition of discipline now. The original definition of discipline from the Latin and the Greek is instruction that trains someone to reach full development, maturity. Now listen to that. It's training. It's instruction. The scripture I'm in Hebrews, and it uses the word discipline in NIV and some of the newer translations. In the King James and all the way back, it uses the word chasten or chasen? Chasen? And so I said, okay, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Let me even go back to that and make sure I got the right word right. And its definition is educate, train, and discipline. They added uh, punishment late, late 1800s because they felt like that was the direction that they wanted it to go. But that wasn't the original. That wasn't in the original text. And, and it makes much more sense this way, too. Listen, in Hebrews 12, we're going to go through Hebrews 12, 1 is where we're going to start. I struggled with this for a while, and this is why I wanted to teach this, because I was like, well, what do I do with this? What do I do with this discipline now that I understand how good God is and how much he loves me? What do I do with all this discipline that this Bible's telling me about? And it's, it makes so much more sense now, and I hope to to help you with it. Verse 1 in Hebrews 12 says, and I'm reading from the message just because I read through uh, New King James, I read through NIV, and then I read through message, and I, I like the wording in message better here. Um, they all, it all says basically the same thing. I just like how Eugene Peterson really brings it to life here. And in, in the message version, it says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. Now, he's speaking of what he just talked about in Hebrews 11. Um, do you remember it by faith? Uh, Abraham by faith, uh, all these things happened by faith. Noah built the ark by faith. He's talking about all these people in the Old Testament. Now he's coming on the tail end of that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But he's saying all these all these pioneers blaze away, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we we'd better get on with it. <laughs> Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and what finished this race we're in. Now that's. That's hard to wrap your mind around, right? He both began and finished the race that we're in currently. <laughs> that sounds a little weird. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was or of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. <laughs> I, love, I love Eugene Peterson, the way he, he puts things to where it really just comes to life. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Verse 11. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you. Going back to Hebrews 11 again. To say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourself. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. Now, pause there for a minute. The child he embraces, he he also corrects. You have to be present with someone to embrace them and correct them. You know how we talk about the Holy Spirit being with us all the time? This is what we're talking about. When there's, when there's an ongoing life, an ongoing uh, partnership with the Holy Spirit, He's there to embrace you. He's there to, for correction. He can't be far off away in some distant place that we, don't, we can't relate to. He's with us. And so we know God's character. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment Listen, this trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children, only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training us and not spoiling us, so why do we embra- Why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed, listen to this, what seemed best to them, but God is doing what is best for us training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. (laughs) Amen? Amen. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So don't sit around on your hands. (laughs) No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Watch out for Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. Let me say that again. Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears. Now, sometimes training feels like punishment from our limited perspective, right? Sometimes it feels like we're, we're, we're being punished for something. I always go back to how I relate to my kids I'm not perfect. That's why I love that verse that says parents do what we we think is right, what seems right to us. But God does what is right. He knows what is right. So we do the best that we can with what we have. Now, I have spanked my kids before out of anger, and you're not supposed to do that. I've also realized, especially as they've gotten a little bit older, how much more effective it is to explain what's going on and show them and teach them the way. Now, there's such a broad spectrum of things that go on in people's lives and dealing with children, dealing with us. I think it's the same way with God and us. I can't cover all of those right now. I can't go over every little detail. But what I can tell you is I would much rather my kids know my heart for them is is good and for them to do the best and for them to have the best and for them to be the best than for them just to fear punishment for doing wrong. Does that make sense? Now, like I said, there's a lot of... There, there's a little bit of, of, of give there with kids and personality types and different things that we have to work through. This isn't the fix-all, end-all as far as human. I'm, I'm trying to relate it back to God. God knows without a shadow of a doubt what's best for you. Unfortunately, we still live in a fallen world and we go through things that we don't want to go through. The reason I keep talking about separating those two things is I, don't, I do not believe that God causes these things to happen, but he can use them for the good. All the way to Romans 8, we always want to talk about Romans 8 and, you know, we'll tattoo it on us about him working all things to the good of those who, you know, we always want to say that, but we don't like to address those things. (laughs) We want to think about the good things, the happy ending. We don't want to address the things that we're having to go through. So God does not punish his kids with sickness or curses. We've, We've established that. God is not reactive. He's proactive. He's not surprised when something happens or when you mess up. He already has a plan of redemption. That's the way his teaching is. His teaching is redemption. His training is redemptive. His training is proactive for the future, not punishment for the past. He's not looking back. We we serve a God that's outside of time and space. Do you see that? He's not limited by what we're limited by currently, okay? So when we, we go through these things, whether they're good or bad from our perspective, he sees the redemption at the end of it. Does that make sense? This is why we have this Holy Spirit that we have hope and we have faith in. Because this Holy Spirit reminds us, look, you are not, you're not what your circumstances say you are. You're not what people say you are. You're not even what you think you are sometimes. Because he says, he even convinces us of righteousness above our own conscience. Even, he's above our own conscience. So we have this Holy Spirit that reminds us of something outside of time and space because we're stuck in it right now. And like it says, sometimes discipline feels like punishment. He said right there it's not punishment, but it feels that way because it sucks sometimes. <laughs> Can a pastor say that? It just—it's Sometimes you go through stuff and you're like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. People are mean, <laughs> right? I'm exhausted. I've got all this stuff going on, and, and I, th- I think about my wife in there. You know, She would love to be in here, I'm sure, and we've got a kid that's not feeling well she's probably like, ah, you know, I'd like to be in there. Or, you know, we, we, we go through these things that we think are so tough. And, and not, to, not to make them seem small, but I love how Hebrews goes back and goes, okay, look back at Hebrews 11, what I just told you about. All these people, and all they did is they wanted what you have. And they died for it. And they didn't even get it. Hebrews, and I'll, I'll, I'll even give you the scripture. Hebrews eleven thirty nine. 39, after he talks about by faith what all, what all happened back then. At the very end of that, before it goes into 12, Hebrews eleven I'm back in NIV now. It says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Now these people for, for years sacrificed their lives, sacrificed their families to go after something that they didn't even get to receive. Think about that for a minute. Verse 40, since God had planned something better for us. So that, not, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. He's, he's connecting us with all of those that, that made those sacrifices to get to where we are now. So he's looking back at all these people by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, and they didn't even get to receive what now we have. And so I think about, and like I said, not to, not to, not to put our issues like they're not a big deal. They're a big deal to us when they're in the midst of them, right? But think about these, these people. Even the Hebrews he's talking about in 12 were being persecuted and killed and murdered. They're going through some struggles. They're having a hard time. And in our lives, we go, okay, we're really dealing with this. This gives us a pretty, pretty rough, um, blatant perspective of where we are and what we're dealing with and all the people who have come before us who just wanted what we now have. I mean, that just speaks volumes to me. So God's not responding to our mistakes with punishment, but leading us away, away from them gently with love. This is what the Holy Spirit does. That's why we call the Holy Spirit a comforter. The Holy Spirit leads us. He comforts us, but he leads us away from those things. Now, at the time when you think, this is what I want, and I want it now, <laughs> and I'm, if you're like me, I've got, like, tunnel vision. I need this right now. Like, I have to have this. Whatever it is, I need this to happen I need this to work out right now. If someone was to come to me and say, hey, you're, you're wrong, <laughs> that would sting a little. Now, I'll give you a little more insight of how ridiculous I am. Throughout those years, I was a bit of a know-it-all, and I've, I've told you before. And all of that, going through all of that training, all, I don't want to put quotations, that was real training, going through all that training in my life taught me a lot of things that I would not have learned had I not gone through some of that stuff. Had I not seen... The heartbreak in, in my mom and my sister and me with no dad being around and all the abuse and all the different things, it, it, it softened my heart towards that. It softened my heart for people like that. If I would not have humbled myself to be corrected by a boss who I, see, I even sound arrogant talking about that, that I knew more than he did, regardless being, being humble enough to be told what to do by him and, and settling back and going, okay, I can do this. I can listen to someone else, and, and I was not a good listener. And that all of that snowballed into now I'm a pastor and I can listen to people. I don't just tell you what to do, right? I can actually listen to what you have to say, listen to what's going on in your life, listen to what's going on. So, all of these things that happened that were unpleasant at the time, I believe that God was using a situation that I don't believe that He necessarily caused and gently saying, Okay, I'm going to help you here. And I know what's coming 20, you know, 15, 20 years down the line. So I'm going to help you. Right? I'm going to I'm going to gently lead you in this place at the time I was going, I don't like this. This guy's a jerk. I don't like this. I want to do this my way. I want this to happen this way, right? And and sometimes that, that gentle tug feels like a, a backhand to the face sometimes. It's like, "No, I want to do what I want to do." But here's something else we don't like to hear and these are all words that that rub us the wrong way is submitting. We don't want to submit. But when you submit to a good God, it's not bad news. We submit to somebody who is all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipotent. We submit to someone who knows better than we do, who has better plans for us than even we have for ourselves, who knows more than we do. And so when we submit to him, we go, okay, I really want this, (laughs) or I want this to happen, but I submit it to you. And if you want it to happen, that's fine. And you allow him to to lead you in the way that, that is actually better for you. Now, that may be in his plans, but it may be a year from now or two years from now or tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your specific instance. But Paul and there's there's Paul's encouraging the Hebrews to embrace their struggle and use it as training. He's, he's, he said it blatantly that that's not... That what they're going through is not punishment, but he's saying that we can use it for training. He's reminding them that they're not alone, because he goes back to Hebrews 11 when he's, by faith, all these people that dealt with that. Look, you're not alone. You're not the only ones dealing with anything. You guys are being persecuted. You guys are, are dying for the faith, but you're not alone. There are other people dealing with this. And he's also encouraging them to allow God to be their focus and comforter in the midst of turmoil. When we're weak, he's made strong. So in the places when we feel like we can't make it, we want to give up. How many of you ever said, I just want to give up? I'm exhausted and I just, want to, I just want to quit, or I just want to take a break. I just want to take a step back and just take a breather because I just can't deal with all this right now. God's encouraging them, or Paul's encouraging them, saying, look, you're not alone. You're not the only ones that have dealt with these issues. You're not the only ones that have dealt with persecution. You're not the only ones that have dealt with depression or anxiety or discouragement or any of these things that go along with it. You're not alone, and he's giving you the answer here. So Hebrews 11 has a great emphasis on faith by faith. Faith in what? He speaks of their longing for something we now have, and that's the Holy Spirit. And millions suffered and died just wanting to get a glimpse of something that we now have. And I don't say that to make you feel bad about it. I I, I say that to remind you of how good we have it. This is a reminder. This is why we come in here week after week. It's a reminder of, of how good God is and how he builds us up and how he sent this Holy Spirit to speak to us and through us. He even talks about clear the way when you're running this race. Clear the way for other people. Help them come alongside you. Don't trip them up with bitterness. Don't get caught up in your circumstances and say, I can't do this, I can't do this. Say, no, I can't do it, but God can do it through me. You say, I can, where I'm weak, he's made strong. You go, okay, now not only can I not do it, but God can do it, but he can do it through me to other people. What a neat little trickle-down effect that has. So now we run this race. This race that's already completed. (laughs) Right? We run a race that's completed because Christ died and set in place our righteousness for us and it's sealed in our hearts forever. Done deal. And so now we get to live from that place. And so we run this race that's completed. So every time we get discouraged by trying to put rags on over our robe, we were talking about this robe and ring, we try to put rags back on over our robe, we come in here and we're reminded, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop trying to put rags on over your robe. Christ has made you righteous. Christ has made you holy. Now rest in that. Once you rested in it, get up and start running and start bringing people alongside you. Say, okay, look, I get it now. I get it. I can't do it, but God can do it through me. Now I can do it for other people. Now I can let God work through me for other people. I can help them. I can bring them. Not only that, I don't, I don't need to trip them up by being bitter and holding a grudge against them because they said something that offended me that they probably forgot that they said three weeks ago. And you've been up at night going, man, I can't stand that guy. And he's, he's not thinking twice about it. It's probably misunderstanding. Or, or and this, this that's a little easier to, to joke around about, but here's something that's a little bit harder. This happened in my life. And I did not plan for this to happen, and it, and it adjusted everything that I know. It changed, it changed everything about my life, and I'm not cool with it, <laughs> right? And God goes, I know. I know from the most shallow things that you deal with to the very deepest things that you deal with, and he can fill that up too. And that's why we don't, we don't take the little things and make them big, and we don't even take the big things and acknowledge them as though they're big because they're not big to God. And listen, I have witnessed it. This is not just storytelling. This is not just uh, theology. I've seen it in your lives, and I've seen it in other people's lives around me, and I've seen it in my own. So Romans eight twenty eight, the one everybody loves. We all like to say this and quote it and tattoo it and everything else. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. All things, God works. All things, who works? God works them. This requires submission because what do we want to do? I want to fix it. I'm Mr. Fix-It. I want to fix it. I want to make it work. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. The most difficult thing for me to do in the past, present, and future is always submitting to the Lord and letting him work things out that I can't work out because I have a plan, right? I have a plan that I can work it out. But here's the cool thing. He has a plan too. <laughs> and I can help him. I can, co- I, can, I can co-labor with him and work it out. I can still be involved. This doesn't mean I just lay down and go, God, work all this out. <sighs> Thank God for grace. I'm just going to sit on the couch. No. This is fun, right? And this, <laughs> side note, I don't, I don't let my kids say bored. When they say bored, it just drives me nuts. I'm like, no, you can't say bored. Don't say bored. There's plenty of things to clean if you want to say bored. <laughs> I'm such an adult now. There's plenty of things to clean if you can say bored. Or if, it's, if you're bored, it's because you're boring. Stop being boring. <laughs> no, have fun. There, there's, there's life. <laughs> we have this life inside us. And and what's great, and it, either you are a ty- that type of person, many of you are because I know you, or you've been around these type of people that can make the worst circumstances fun, Right? I can look at a situation and go, let's, let's, let's adjust and let's, let's, let's make something good out of this. Let's change this into a good. This was one of my coping mechanisms and probably still is, is humor, um, which God's given because he made me, and he's got a sense of humor because I have one. Um, but there's something I found that I don't really get bored. I don't get bored. If I get bored, I find something to do, and I have fun doing it. And so there's this, I think that comes from our identity in Christ, that he's, he's created us to do that. I think that when we get bored, we're focusing on the lack instead of the filling. Does that make sense? We're focusing on our own inabilities instead of the one that fills all things in every way. We're we're focusing on something small instead of something big that we have and we carry. Anyway, side note: I don't know why I rambled about that. Maybe that's for somebody. Um, So he's doing all the work, but here's the question I want to ask: Are you listening to him? This goes back to Holy Spirit. Are we submitting to his training? Are we co-laboring with Christ? Are your ears open? Are you, are you praying continually? And I'm not talking about quiet time. My only quiet time is when I sleep. <laughs> I'm usually pretty busy talking. Um, and there's nothing wrong if you want to spend time reading and, and, and praying, that's fine. But pray all day. Amen. I pray all day. Amen. All day, son. Pray all day. Yes. <laughs> Don't stop. Because there are things that you're going through all day that you need prayer for. Yes. And... If we compartmentalize that to just a certain, like I said, there's nothing wrong with setting aside time. It's, it's a healthy thing. It's, it's a good thing. But if we limit it to that, then we're saying that God's not in all this other time. He's not working in all these other times. He's not moving. He's not with us. He's not there, like, like he says in the scriptures, to embrace us and train us in his way. We're saying, well, i got to wait until tomorrow morning. And I can get back in, in, in just that. Same way we talk about worship in here. I love worship in here, but it's not limited to this place. You don't check your Holy Spirit at the door when you leave. We don't need to hit all the right notes and do all the right things so you can worship. You can worship in your car. Ask my wife. She gets tickets usually when she does. Her, her foot's heavy when she worships. She'll get to worship in. Like, girl, you need to have a quiet time at home. But all I'm saying is don't, don't we have a tendency to compartmentalize things and everything. Don't limit God to where he can move and where he can work in your life. When we pray continually, it doesn't mean when you're talking to your coworker, you just stop mid-sentence and start praying. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven. No, I need the TPS reports. <laughs> <great>. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I said something about it too. On Facebook, and I think I got a good response because I think people have seen people act like this. God's less concerned with your coworker's language than he is your poor attitude toward, towards them. He really is, because listen, he doesn't need you when when he says something, you know, rough or whatever. He doesn't need you to go. Oh, our Father who art in heaven, that's, I can't hear that. La 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 la. Yeah, that's reactive, not proactive. What's God training us to be? Proactive, just like Him. Proactive. So he's, he's training you to see the, the fulfillment in that man's life or that woman's life. He's training you to see how he sees them at their full potential. He's training you so that you can train them, not react to what they're doing. Not get caught in this back and forth stuff that goes where? Nowhere. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. You're right. Where does that get you? Frustrated and, and running around chasing your tail. Not many, if any, have been argued into the kingdom of heaven that I know of. Many have been loved into the kingdom. Have been shown the kingdom. Have have shared the good news, not crammed it down somebody's throat and manipulated them with fear and and bullying. Many have turned away. I read an article. Um, it was Fox fifteen did it, like sixty something percent. And that everybody's got their own opinion. It could be two percent or a hundred. Who knows? Of millennials are turning away from the church and da da da. Everybody's got their opinions on that and why. But the, the first, I always read the comments because usually they're pretty ignorant, but now they've got them to where the... <laughs> I only read the first few because those are the ones that get the most likes or whatever. So I want to see kind of the consensus of what's going on. And the first few was, the, uh, I don't, I'm a millennial, I don't go to church because they're money hungry and they're hypocrites. And they don't practice what they preach and they just judge. And there's all these different things about why people don't go and all these different excuses. and um, I can see some of that. Some of it's just excuses because they just they don't want to deal with whatever's going on in their lives. I'm fine with all that. But I think what we've done as a church for many years, we've separated ourselves so much from from lost people and from the world that they've said, okay, you don't have anything to do with us. We don't have anything to do with you. We're good with that. And it's taken years to, to wedge that in there, and we've done a pretty good job of doing it, to be honest, when Jesus didn't do that. Jesus ate with sinners, and that was a big deal in that culture because if you ate with them, that meant you were cool with them. You were good with them. It was a big deal for him to sit down and eat. That was a covenant deal. When you sat down and eat, that was, when they would cut covenant, split the animal in half, walk through, they would eat after that because that means we're, we're good. And the Pharisees were like, uh-uh. You, you know, I, I could, they could probably even see I could see you teaching them or trying to show them, but you're sitting down and eating with them? You can't do that. No. And then he's like, "Well, I'm the son of God. I can do what I want. I do what I want." Here's why: because the Bible tells us it's not the healthy that need a doctor; it's the sick. Where did we get, Where did we get off with this? This is why I love. We had a finance team meeting the other day, and we, we just talked about a couple of just little topics and different things like that. And I love our building. We've got a nice building. It's a metal building, no stained glass or anything, but we've got a decent building, and I, and I, I like air conditioning and, and all that kind of stuff. But we are very much, have been and always will be an outward-focused church for the reason that that's, what Jesus, that's who Jesus was. We are focused on reaching out to people individually, you guys, you guys, and corporately as a church. We, do, we have ministries that we connect with that we do this monthly, and we're going to do it more and more and more because that's who we are. That, that's what we do. We go and we eat with people. We love people right where they are because that's what Jesus did. We care for people because that's what Jesus did. So I'm going to give you real quick, I know I'm running out of time, uh, five truths about discipline. I say you cannot. I'd say it's very difficult, and maybe you cannot. Um, You cannot discipline those that you do not love. I think that love is paramount in discipline because you could easily... Both of you, either one, the one you're discipling or disciplining, or you, could get off and focus more on performance than relationship. And when you do that, you will separate, you'll begin to try to separate the Holy Spirit from his involvement in what's going on, because his job paramount is love and relationship. The same way, I don't like when I say I don't like, I'm okay with some people just, you know, discipline teaching my kids and stuff like that, but. Um, there's, there's something different about someone else disciplining your kids, right? It's different. You have a deeper connection a deeper love with them. Now, I'm, I'm okay. They need to behave and, and discipline. But I'm saying, like, you know, really getting down to the core of what's going on, that's our job because we have just a deeper connection. In the same way, when we build relationships with people, there's much more opportunity to speak into their lives and, and disciple them. And you should be discipling people. But we have, to, we have to meet them in relationship and love them because that's when they begin to receive not because you tell them what's right and wrong. because I spent 20 years hearing people tell me I was wrong and telling me the right way was to go to church, which wasn't really true. The right way was to know Jesus. But right and wrong didn't fix my problem. A relationship and unconditional love did fix my problem. It fixes everybody's problem. Number two, discipline is leading. We have to remember that. When you disciple someone, when, when Jesus disciples us in our hearts the holy spirit he is leading us he's leading us somewhere he's not looking back at everything in the past he's looking forward at your future number three discipline is training He is training us for something you have a purpose rick warren's purpose-driven life was a bestseller why because we all want to know what our purpose is we all seek and desire purpose in our lives and he's telling us right now i have a purpose for you you have a purpose you are important to me Number four, discipline is not punishment looking back, but training looking forward. It's pretty self-explanatory. And number five, God's discipline is always redemptive. Same way I was talking about your co-worker looking at them, God's discipline is looking at your potential. God's discipline is looking at your future. God's discipline is saying, I know that you think this way because your perspective is limited because you're human and you're flawed and you're on earth, but I I want to show you a better way. I want to show you what will help you. And the good thing is he's gentle. Sometimes it doesn't feel like he's gentle because it goes against what we might think that we want, but he's trying to show us a better way. So God's discipline is always redemptive. Um, God is always leading you to something better, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. He's reminding you of who you are and what you're meant to be, even if you doubt yourself or have your own ideas about it. His thoughts about you and plans for you are better than your own. This is good news for me because as I look back at my first 20 years, like I said, I I wanted to live life fast and die young. I wasn't thinking about a family. I wasn't thinking about anything. I just wanted to live fast and not have to worry about that stuff. And also, probably the root of that, I didn't know it at the time, the root of that was a, a poor... Poor self-esteem and a poor self-image of myself. Um, we were poor. I had crooked teeth. <laughs> I was I was pretty much an outsider in my in my high school. I was the minority. I went to a primarily um, African American school. Um, I was I was belittled and looked down upon from both races most of my young life, um, and and I, I grew up in an environment that basically told me really because of my last name a lot of Y'all, I'm in Alabama now, but in Louisiana, in my area, Benoits were bad news. Like, we were the ones would kick out cops' windows and stuff. And so I knew my lineage back then. I knew my dad was a drug dealer, drug addict, alcoholic, abusive. And in my mind, I was going to be that, right? I knew in the back of my mind that my future is not going to be good, so I'll just have as much fun as I can fun as I can and just don't worry about it, right? But here's what changed everything. His opinion of me was greater than mine. (coughs) His opinion of me was greater than the people around me. Even the people that were trying to build me up, like the scripture says, they did what they thought was right, the best they could do. Even the ones in church would say, you know, stop doing wrong things and do right things or you're bad, you're sinning, don't do it anymore. Even they were trying to do the best that they could um, to help me. But the only thing that changed me and the only thing that's going to change you and the people around you is going to be this Holy Spirit that we carry that carries a greater identity, a greater potential, and a greater life than even you have for yourself. Even the good life that you have imagined for yourself, Even even the ones that didn't grow up in that environment, they grew up in a good environment, and you... You have plans, for, and there's nothing wrong with this. You have plans for, you know, a career and um, all these different things and, and this square footage house and these type of things. He's even got better things for you. He's got, he's got a better life for you, even than just things. All right, I'm, I'm rambling now. So you guys stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you and let you go. Uh, <clears throat> I want to encourage you to really think about this because I, really, I struggled with discipline until I really got to reading exactly what discipline was and what it meant. And I want to encourage you as you go through scriptures, look look this up on your own and read through the scriptures. Go back to Hebrews 11 and read through and go back and read through Hebrews 12 and on to the end of Hebrews. And you can see the the pattern there of what he's talking about. And there's so much more in there than I can talk about just in one Sunday. Um, we may start back in the beginning of Hebrews and go through the whole thing because I've, I've been really enjoying it. But I want to encourage you as you leave this place, Don't don't think that, you know, <laughs> don't think that you... You leave the Lord here. Don't think that this is the only place that you can receive, and it's the only place that you can minister to people. Because there are people in your lives right now, in your schools, in your works, and everywhere that need what you have. There are people in the past, in the old covenant, that have sacrificed their lives and their families and everything, just just wanting and desiring a glimpse of what we now have and that has been given to us for free. Lord, I just thank you for your grace, Father. I thank you for your love and for your patience, Lord. I thank you for your even your discipline. Lord, it's even hard to say out loud. I thank you for your discipline. Lord, I thank you that even though we think we have it all figured out, um, as many times I have, Lord, you, you, you continue to <laughs> um, just show me a better way. You continue to say, well, that's, that's cute. <laughs> that's, that's nice. You thought you had it worked out. But here, I'm going to show you something better. And, and the older I get, the more you, you reveal more and more and more. It doesn't get old, and I don't outthink you, and I don't <laughs> outfigure you out. So, Father, I just I, I pray for an increased revelation of who you are in our lives as we leave this place, Lord. I I, I pray for a, a heightened of awareness of your discipline, um, of what that means to us, of how redemptive it is. Lord, I pray that um, that we leave this place and and uh, you free us of of all of that fear of uh, of torment and 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 frustration. All these things in our lives, Father, because you are you are not the the author of our circumstances. You're not the author and finisher of our circumstances, Lord. You, you, you are so much greater than our circumstances. You are so much greater than our frustrations and our struggles. Lord, so I just pray for a focus of that and faith, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. amen.